Murray. They were the words of the special counsel. I would imagine that uh, the president is not too pleased about being characterised in that way. Well, Hilary Mantel is widely regarded as one of the great English writers of the last half century. And with the publication of her final book called A Memoir of My Former Self last year, that was following her death in 2022, Dame Hilary Mary Mantel is lauded for her wit, her eloquence, her irony and her entertaining prose, which has been described as endlessly dazzling. She's the author of 17 works, but she's best known for her Thomas Cromwell trilogy, which garnered her two Booker Prizes for Wolf Hall and Bring Up the Bodies. And then the third book to complete that set is Mirror and the Light. I wonder if you've read them or you're a Mantell fan. If so, I do want to hear from you. one three hundred eight hundred triple two, 800 or 0467 Now, to talk us through the life and genius of the late Hilary Mantell, I've got with me in the studio Deborah Adelaide, herself an author and editor of 18 books, including novels, non-fiction and reference work. Her first novel was The Hotel Albatross, published in 1995. It was republished in 2009. And last year, in her role as a book reviewer, Deborah reviewed Hillary's final published work, which uh, we mentioned is titled A Memoir of My Former Self, A Life in Writing. Hi, Deborah. Thanks so much for coming into Nightlife tonight. Just tell me when you first read Hillary Mantel. I can't exactly remember when I first read her. Um, it was before the Tudor novels, mm. a couple of her earlier books I'd read, including um, Giving Up the Ghost. But with those three Tudor novels is when she really kind of leapt into my imagination, as I think it, it has done for many readers around the world. Yeah, that's right. I hadn't heard of her until then. Just quickly, Bobsled says the BBC adaptation of Wolf Hall with Mark Rylance's Cromwell, Damien Lewis's Henry VIII, Claire Foyer's Anne Boleyn. Uh, for those who find reading the books too arduous, it's extremely binge-worthy says bobsled. Have you watched those? Yeah, and um, adaptations of really wonderful books are usually hit and miss, but this is an extraordinarily good adaptation. It's it's amazing. I think Hilary Mantel may have been a bit involved in it herself. So yeah, it's it's a great it's a great thing to watch. Yeah. Now, there were many aspects to her life and some she felt deeply enough to write essays about. These included her father, the legacy of Princess Diana and the influence of Jane Austen. So we're going to explore some of those. What can you tell us about her childhood, Deborah? Well, she was born in 1952 in the north of England from Irish ancestry, um, quite humble family background, mm-hmm just one or two generations prior, the complete Ill- illiteracy in the family. Um, I think they were mill workers, something like that, her family. She was the eldest of three children. There were two younger brothers, Catholic upbringing and education. Mm. I think there were two things that happened in her childhood that were deeply, deeply significant. The first, um, when she was quite, re- still quite young, a, a very strange thing happened when her mother brought her lover into the household and her father was displaced and they all still lived together. I think Hilary was seven or eight at the time. 
And this man became her stepfather and her father was eventually gone. Right, and, when, and that was Mr Mantell. That's where she got the last name That's where name she got from. the name from, Jack Mantell. Um, it, was, it, it seemed to work, this weird cohabitation, weird though it was, and then it didn't work. They, they parted and, and, in fact, she didn't see her natural father ever again. And the other significant thing that happened in my mind in her childhood was the advent of that terrible disease, endometriosis, mm. which occurred from her very first period at the age of 11. And um, Hilary Mantel had this awful, awful battle with this disease where she was misdiagnosed for a long time. She had a terrible operation that destroyed her chances of ever having children. Mm. She was given drugs that she should never have been given and it really compromised her health for her entire life. Mm-hmm. So her work spans for decades. How did she initially come to writing? I think it's quite clear that in a sense she was always writing. She talks about how diligent a student she was even in primary school and how she wrote copiously. She would always write ten times more for an exam if she possibly <laughs> could. Um, in her memoir, Giving Up the Ghost, she talks about how when she was a child she would see ghosts and visions, how she would um, kind of have these images that no one else had and it was obviously her imagination working over time. After her death, an old school friend um, found a class yearbook in which the then 11-year-old Hilary had had a, a story published, a story about a fox evading a hunt. And this story, which you can read, it's been reproduced in The Guardian last year. Um, it's just astonishingly accomplished. It's, it's such a good story and it's, it just shows you this child is in total command of her prose. Then she, um, she began writing as an adult in her early 20s. She started writing historical fiction and she was deeply interested in the French Revolution, which eventually led to a novel that was published in the early 90s. But her first published novels were not historical novels. They were actually kind of black comedies, contemporary novels. Uh, I've got Deborah Adelaide uh, here with me in The Writers. We are talking about Hilary Mantel. Uh, Marion says, I've recently started reading a memoir of my former self. I find the short pieces far more enjoyable than her trilogy. I highly recommend it. Beautifully constructed, says Marion. And uh, a few pages at a time makes for a very thoughtful read and very stimulating. I mean, you had very high praise um, for a memoir of my former self, didn't you, Deborah? Absolutely. I'm I couldn't fault it. Uh, it's very rich. It's a mixed bag and there there is just nothing in it that isn't engaging. And it's interesting because it's not it's it, it it's sort of an accidental memoir because of course it's not her book, it's a book that her former editor put together after she died and it's it's a selection of um short memoir pieces, film reviews, book reviews, longer meditations on writers. Um, all sorts of stuff, but it is arranged chronologically, so it does give you accumulation, uh, accumulated insight into her whole 
writing life. Mm. Um, now, from 87 to 91, she worked as a film critic at The Spectator and she reviewed the latest releases. So we're talking, you know, When Harry Met Sally, Robocop. What were those years like for her and what were those reviews like that came out of that gig? Oh, this is an amazing period in her life. So it was like in a little under four years, she reviewed something like 160 films. That's a lot of sitting in the theatre. Mm. <laughs> uh, and she actually said she, she had to learn to write in the dark because she had to take <laughs> notes. And she was writing quite long film reviews. Like these, mm. this was for the, the, the weekly magazine Spectator, so it wasn't like writing for the newspaper. Um, I'm not sure how devoted a film goer she was before she got this gig, but she really obviously relished the role and she was very, very good at it. The reviews are absolutely wonderful and they're worth reading even if you haven't seen the films um, she's talking about. And the offer to do this came after a travel essay she'd written had won a major prize and had been published in The Spectator. And one of the judges of that prize happened to be the editor of The Spectator, Charles So she was hired for her writing rather than her film knowledge. Yes, and writing a travel piece too, which had literally nothing to do with film. Um, But, you know, they're they're just astute, witty, um, distinguished, like all her critical pieces by this great expansive mind and huge intellect and a kind of generosity of spirit too, even Mm. when she's being scathing, um, which she can be quite a lot. Um, For example, the review on Fatal Attraction is, it's actually hilarious and she gets stuck right into this film, but she does it with great flair and wit and sophistication. You never feel her criticisms criticisms are gratuitous Mm. at all. Now, she created this very distinct voice. It's been described as somewhere between the first and the third person. Tell us about this. Well, this is the voice. um, We're talking about the voice that relates to the three Tudor novels, Wolf Hall, Bring Up the Bodies and The Mirror and the Light. And, um, well, speaking about Wolf Hall, which was published in 2009, the critic and novelist Geraldine Brooks said that Mantell hadn't just told the story from her subject, Thomas Cromwell's point of view, but had, quote, crawled into his skin. And she said it's not a first-person narrative and, and it's not what we'd call a close third-person narrative voice, but it's something in between. And I think Brooks is is right. I mean, strictly... It is, across the three novels, it it is a a third-person voice, but it's so close, it's so intimate that it doesn't actually feel like a third-person voice. It's also a present-tense narrative, and this, combined with that original voice, is what gives these novels um, the great and powerful intimacy. You've got to read some to give us a sense of that voice, aren't you? Yeah, I'm just going to read the opening of Wolf Hall just to show you how strong this voice is. So now, get up. Fell, felled, dazed, silent, he has fallen, knocked full length on the cobbles of the yard. 
His head turns sideways. His eyes are turned towards the gate, as if someone might arrive to help him out. One blow, properly placed, could kill him now. Blood from the gash on his head, which was his father's first effort, is trickling across his face. Add to this, his left eye is blinded. But if he squints sideways with his right eye, he can see that the stitching of his father's boot is unravelling. The twine has sprung clear of the leather, and a hard knot in it has caught his eyebrow and opened another cut. Well, you can you can hear this sort of clipped, fresh voice. And the other thing that's so interesting about this voice is that Mantell almost never refers to he as Cromwell or Thomas. It's always he or him. And at first it's quite disarming. When you first start reading Wolf Hall, it's almost disorienting. And it's like you're trying to tune into an elusive radio station, but then you catch it and it's as clear as anything and it stays with you throughout all the books. It's wonderful. Deborah Adelaide is here talking about Hilary Mantel. I've got a nice text for you here, um, Deborah. This is from Kylie. Thank you for this. I love Hilary Mantel's works, but I have to say Deborah's short story called Letter to George Clooney is my all-time favourite short story. Shocking, deeply moving and unforgettable. Oh, that is so wonderful to hear. Thank you so much. Tell me about the letter to George Clooney. Oh, aren't we talking about Mantel tonight? Uh, (laughs) (laughs) All right, all right. We'll come back to it if we have time. Okay. Now, um, the the chief executive of the Booker Prize Foundation, Gabby Wood, said the essays in her memoir place some of the chords beneath her work as a novelist. What, What are the chords that stood out to you through these essays? Yeah, well, as I mentioned, they're only a selection of um, hundreds of pieces she wrote and they're a mix of memoir and reviews and lectures and so the reach is very broad but um, and of those 160 mm. film reviews we were talking about only about a dozen or a few more are, are printed here but I do think there are chords or themes running through the collection firstly obviously what it means to be a writer and in particular the making of a writer in her own writing also what it means to be a reader. History is another great preoccupation, as well as memory, memory's agency and its unreliability. Uh, And then more specifically, there are themes like the body, especially the female body, that emerges very strongly over the collection, understandably, I think, given her personal battles with health. Uh, There's a whole essay, in fact, a very sad one called Written on the Body, which, sorry, written on our bodies, I think it is, which explains how, um, basically, how biology determined her entire life. Mm. Um, And intriguing, another theme is the royal female body and the way it's dressed She was fascinated by Princess Diana and she she made some very controversial, well, they turned out to be controversial comments about Kate Middleton. She did indeed. And she was fascinated by royal women generally. She also writes about Anne Boleyn, Boleyn, of course, and Marie Antoinette. But yes, um, how people like Princess Diana and Kate Middleton are clothed and paraded and presented um, is very strong through the collection. And there's a whole... Um, essay in Memoir of My Former Self that's focused entirely on Princess Diana called The Princess Myth. And, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. yeah. 
a lot of controversy over that. Yeah, um, she described Diana as like John Keats, yet more photogenic. What, what, was, <laughs> what was she talking about? How did she view it's, Diana? It is such a great quote. Um, well, she's, she's very interested in why Diana was constructed. And in fact, the, the essay about Diana is not really so much about her as about us, about the public, about how we created her to feed our needs or our desires. And it's, it's scathing, but it's also very sympathetic because she understands that Diana had, had no choice kind of to go along with this mythologising and indeed to mythologise herself. Um, Man tells she was as was a prin- princess we invented to fill a vacancy. Um, she also said she was a woman, such great quotes, this whole book is full of most wonderful quotes. She says she was a young woman of scant personal resources who believed she was basking with dolphins when she was foundering amongst sharks. Wow. But just to get back to your question, why she was like John Keats was because in dying so young and so tragically, they both achieved a kind of immortality, um, a a stasis with these romantic, mythologised selves preserved forever in the public imagination. Oh, wow. Um, And from Jane, I love Hilary Mantel. I'm so excited to hear much more about her life. It was so productive, yet so sad in in many ways. Her prose is stunning, says uh, says Jane. So we've got a few Mantel fans listening tonight. So, you know, for, for people who are listening, why why would you read Mantell? If you sort of look at, at the big books and you go, oh, my goodness, they're so long, why are they worth persevering through? Well, Mantell writes about this an awful lot, and I totally agree with this as a novelist myself. The novel is about character. Mm. And whilst she did a huge amount of research, not just on the historical novels but the other ones that she wrote, and while she was scrupulous in making sure that her the details were accurate in as far as that was possible, she was also firmly of the belief that the novel, the historical novel, was not about facts and events in the past. It was about getting into the character. And this is what she gives us, particularly in those three Tudor novels, this totally convincing portrait of this man, this very complex man and elusive man, in terms of, you know, history, Thomas Cromwell. So um, you read Mantell's novels because you want to become those characters, almost. You want to absorb their stories. You want to feel what they feel. You want to smell what they smelt. You don't read them because you want to learn anything about Mm. Tudor England. You can do that by reading the Wikipedia pages. (laughs) You read these novels because you want to have some insight into how people how ordinary human beings feel and think. Hmm. Um, I've got Deborah Adelaide here. We're talking about the life and works of uh, Hilary Mantel in, in, uh, on Nightlife in The Writers Tonight. So um, she writes about her father too in this collection of essays we've been talking about and we already mentioned that he was sort of pushed aside when her mother brought this other lover into, into their house. What kind of relationship did she have with him? The stepfather. Well, is that who we're talking about, her father or her her stepfather? Does she write about... She writes... There is an entire essay about her stepfather, Jack Mm. Mantell, but she also writes about her father. At the very end of the the book, A Memoir of My Former Self, the last essay, in fact, 
she she devotes a couple of pages to him, and it's actually quite moving because she, um, and as I said before, she never had anything to do with him, but he kind of came back into her life after he died when her one of his stepdaughters contacted Mantell, who, who was by this stage very famous, of course, and said, your father remarried and became stepfather to five of us, four of us. So Mantell discovered she had four stepsisters apart from anything else. And they sent her some tokens, including a little cassette tape of music that he loved to listen to. But the stepfather himself, Jack Mantell, um, he's what we'd call a character. And he seemed to be aggressive, opinionated, with this sort of constant simmering tension, although I don't think he was physically abusive in, in as far as I can tell anyway. And Mantell actually stayed in touch with him until he died. He was, she called him a ferociously contrarian, um, someone who always thought everyone was out to get him, who was always thinking he was going to be dudded somehow. But they did stay in touch until he died. And, and she seemed to have a, a kind of affection for him too. Mm. We're talking Hilary Mantel. Now, through a series of lectures, she often gave fascinating insights into writing. Tell us about some of her thoughts on the craft and her advice to aspiring authors. Yeah, well, these are the wreath, the five wreath lectures that presented on the BBC in 2007. Her theme for, for all these lectures was historical fiction, and she ranges very broadly and very deeply into this theme. Um, but the the final lecture, um, Can These Bones Live? This is the one that drills down um, particularly into the craft of historical fiction writing. Now, I don't think for a minute she wrote these lectures in order to give advice to mm. aspiring writers or to educate us in any way. Um, in fact, all through the lectures, she's reflecting on her own personal practice. But the fact is um, you can learn an enormous amount from these lectures. They're, they're just, it's, mm. it's, I would say to people, don't go and pay for a writing course. Just read <laughs> these lectures and you will find out all you need to know about writing, not just writing historical fiction, but about writing. Um, it's a very rich and va- valuable resource. And again, do I have time for some quotable quotes? Go on. Um, because she's so lucid and succinct Mm. in her advice. For example, she says, the task of historical fiction is to take the past out of the archive and relocate it in a body. Mm. Um, Or this, which is great, you need to know ten times as much as you tell. Very simple, (laughs) very effective. Or this, the real job of a novelist is not to be an inferior sort of historian, but to recreate the texture of lived experience, to activate the senses and to deepen the reader's engagement through feeling. So she also talks a lot about the reader too, about the role of the reader, about what I would call the creative act of reading and the the, the kind of contract between Mm. writer and reader Mm. that's so important. Deborah, we're almost out of time. If you were only going to read one book, what would it be? Because it sounds like the, the, the collection of essays is so compelling. You know, would you read that? Would you go to Wolf Hall? What would you do? That's a really difficult question. Mm. But actually, I think I would suggest starting with these essays mm. um, because, as I said, it, it, it's, it's kind of a 
builds up to be a, a memoir. So that's um, a memoir of my former self. Because I think if people were starting out with Hilary Mantel and they they started with this book, then they would absolutely have to then go to her novels, including those three long, dense Tudor novels. <laughs> yeah. I guess a lot of people would look at those and think they were quite intimidating, but start with uh, the memoir of my former self, I mm. think. Right. Deborah, thank you so much for coming in and talking to us about Hilary Mantel tonight. It's been a pleasure. And thank it was you. lovely to see a number of listeners on the SMS saying, yes, yes, I'm a Hilary Mantel fan too. So uh, thanks for your SMSs too. Um, Deborah, thanks so much again. Uh, thank that's you. Deborah Adelaide, author, editor, and book reviewer, and Hilary Mantel fan. This is Nightlife with Suzanne Hill.